Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So data storage, uh, we are following up from our cliffhanger in the last episode. And if you haven't heard that episode, you probably want to go back and listen to that for more context. Yeah, we were talking about all of the choices that you have to make as a software engineer and how you store data and how the choices you make are going to be optimized for totally different things than what I'll choose as a data scientist. And the place where we left off was, well, we can just get into that a little bit in the episode. All right. You are listening to Linear Digressions. All right. Yeah. So when we were leaving, we had just talked about the idea that software engineers are generally optimizing for uh, transactional purposes. That's my dog. Um, where you need to be able to keep the application running with the databases that you use. And so you're going to be optimizing for being able to search through for individual rows very, very quickly. Whereas for me, as a data scientist, I'm thinking more about the columns that I have. I don't care about individual cases that much. Instead, what I'm more interested in is analyzing whole groups of data, which means looking at a column or a handful of columns, but for very large numbers of records. So clearly that means we're at odds and one of us just has to win. Or we can uh, make a data warehouse, copy our data set, and then rearrange it. So that way in production, it's optimized for my use case. So the user has a nice, fast experience. And in the data warehouse, you have it optimized for your experience. So that way you can search through things much more quickly and easily and do analytics. Yep, exactly. So there are a few choices that I might make then about how I want to set up my data warehouse because I'm not constrained by the exact same design choices that you've made. So one of the choices that often comes up for me as the analytics person is how do I want to organize the data once it's in my database? Um, That's one of the first important choices I should make. And there are a couple of standard design patterns here. They're certainly not the only things I can do. But assuming that I am thinking of my data as living in tables, like what should the tables be and how do I relate them to each other? So in that spirit, let me ask you a few questions. Have you ever heard of a star schema or a snowflake schema when it comes to databases? I have not. Interesting. Okay. I wasn't sure if this was just an analytics thing or if this is a transaction database thing. Um, it could be. I mean, to be honest, uh, I've, I've not had a lot of experiences interacting with databases directly because I've, I've worked so much on the front end. Uh, gotcha. So okay. yeah, don't, don't take my uh, experience as representative of okay, cool. people in the software world. Well, in either case, they're both worth explaining. So a star schema is a general kind of design pattern about the tables that you might store mm-hmm. in a database. So usually when you're working with application data, there's in general more than one entity that you are thinking about. So we use this Google Docs example and examples of types of entities that you might have in Google Docs is you have different documents, you have different users. Um, I'm trying to think what else could be in here. Maybe maybe another example I could give is uh, YouTube, right? So in YouTube, you have videos, you have users, you have comments, you have um, all of the the thing that ties together, like which user watched which video when or which user commented on which video when. So there's a couple different types of data that you want to keep track of. And 
keeping track of it all in one gigantic table all together is probably almost certainly not going to be optimal for all of the use cases I might need it for and might even make it really, really difficult for me to run certain types of analytics. So instead, what I want to do is have a few tables, each of which is specialized to the major types of data that I have to store or access in that table. Okay, so you you kind of break things up in in a way that works well with your querying. Yeah, yeah. And this is, you know, I, I don't know that there's a super hard science to exactly how to do this, but you think about the problem and you say, like, what are the big moving pieces here or the, the things that are always changing together? And those probably should get their own tables. Right. Cool. So, um, but they, those, bi- those big moving pieces are interacting with each other. Like, I am a user who watches a video. You know, for a given video, you could flip the question around and say, for this video, who are all the users who watched it? And so there's usually has to be some central place where sort of all of this information gets tied together in certain right. relationships. So you can associate things from all of your different tables to a user or a session or a video or whatever. Yeah. And so this is where the idea of, or the name of the star schema starts to come in. So a star schema is characterized by a couple of things. Um, first is that you have this notion, they're usually called fact tables. Those are the central tables that tie together all of the big you know, moving pieces. And then there's usually a series of tables uh, that are more around the periphery that are called dimensions. And those are, in this example, like users, videos, comments, that sort of thing. So storing all of the data, like I could imagine in the fact table might have a row that says something like user one, two, three, four, watched video five, six, seven, eight on this date. And maybe that's all I need. Um, But that video, video five, six, seven, eight, I have a, a side table, a dimension table that says this is the video ID. This is the you know, the title of the video, this is the length of the video, this is a link to the place in blob storage where the actual video file is is kept. Um, all of that stuff is going to be in that side table. And likewise for the user, you know, like what's the username, what's the password that's associated with the account, you know, when when did the user first join, all of that sort of stuff. So you can see how like kind of if you were to draw a diagram, this is why it's called a star schema, there's like the fact table at the middle, and then all of these uh, dimension tables that are right around and they're the all outside, just and it looks like a star. They're yeah, all it's all connected through, through the center. middle, right? Okay, exactly. That's yeah, cool. Yep, and so that's pretty nice because you know you have it's fairly intuitive. Like you think about each of those tables as being like a big one of the important things you have to think about from a business perspective or an analytics perspective, if you like. There's a central meeting place where they all tie together. And then usually there's a a fairly straightforward path that goes through the fact table whenever I need to do joins of different data to each other um, of how I can get all the data talking to each other because the fact table is going to give me like a mapping. Um, Because a lot of what you're doing as a data scientist is not just analyzing one one body of data by itself, but instead joining it with other bodies of data and trying to figure out the interactions between all the different all the different pieces here from an analytics perspective. So maybe if there are folks who are listening who are <laughs> software engineers who deal with databases a little bit more than Ben does. Right. Maybe some back-end person. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but that, that makes a lot of sense as, as a way of organizing. And actually, um, 
like now that you say it, that seems like the most intuitive way. But you did say there were two different schemas. Well, I'll talk about a second one. And it's not like these are the only two ways that you can organize your data. But there are a couple of the more popular ones. So the second one is called the snowflake schema. I'm going to make a guess and say that it looks like a snowflake. Sort of does. Yeah, so let me explain a little bit what makes it look like a snowflake. Let's let's imagine, let me change the situation here a little bit. Let's imagine that I'm Amazon. And just you. Just me. I'm Amazon all by myself. And so one of the things that I'm doing is I am shipping things to people's houses. So I have a bunch of tables about uh, my inventory, like what are the products that I sell. And then I have a bunch of tables that are about my users, who is buying my stuff. Probably have a bunch of tables about who are my sellers, the people who are listing things. And so let's, let me take my, my buyers table. So these are all the people who've bought things on Amazon. So then I have to be able to ship stuff to them or give information to maybe other people about how to ship stuff to them. Now, one thing that's gonna start to happen uh, fairly quickly is I have, let's say, address information for all of these people. And everybody, when they give me their address, it has a street, it has a city, a state, and a zip code, right? And then maybe I also have like country or something too. So after a little while, I'm gonna start to repeat a lot of information because there might be many, many people who live in, say, a single building in a single zip code Uh, in Chicago, Illinois, which is in the United States. And it doesn't matter how many more, how many more addresses I get. Like everyone who says they live in Chicago lives in Illinois because Chicago is entirely inside of Illinois. Everyone who says they live inside of Illinois also lives in the United States. So if I have separate columns for each one of those things in my shipping address table, I start to repeat a lot of information. Uh, So your data set is huge. Well, it could be huge or it might like it's it's bigger than it needs to be is the point. Uh Um, So my dimension tables themselves start to get kind of big and they start to get repetitive because I might be just storing the same information over and over again. So what if and now we're starting to get into the snowflake part, my dimension tables themselves were allowed to have dimension tables coming off of them. Oh, so it's almost like you have these these uh i don't know i'm i'm going to use incorrect terminology but like these super nodes or these like things that these uh tables that represent entire areas let's say uh shipping or let's say buyers or let's say sellers or or whatever and then each of those things can have their own tables that are that they're connected to and so rather than having the star schema where every single table is connected to every other's table through that single central point you instead might have a couple of traverse, uh, a couple of hops to get between um, between tables if they're sufficiently far apart. But that's not necessarily really a problem because the address you're delivering to probably doesn't have much to do with the um, list of products you have or uh, some seller information or something like that. Yeah. So there's a lot of substructure maybe that I'm trying to capture in breaking things out into individual tables in each one of these dimensions. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like this probably works best in a case where that substructure is kind of confined to just that part of my, my database. And so it doesn't, 
it doesn't make things hopefully much more complicated to access data in other parts of in other parts of the database. But uh, within that part of the database, then I can set up things that are uh, more efficient. They're more optimized. I'm not necessarily carrying around tons of extra or repetitive information in one big dimension table, but instead starting to break it out, I might have a little bit more flexibility around it too, because if I want to make changes to my database layout, it's as simple as adding or dropping a new table rather than having to migrate one gigantic table to some other gigantic table format. You can see how it's a more complex type of layout and I have to write more complex queries because I'm potentially joining in extra information from more than one table uh, where yeah. I had just one table before, um, but with maybe a little bit more flexibility and efficiency. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So a lot of the question that you should be asking yourself if you're a data scientist who's you know thinking about how you want to be laying out your data in the data warehouse is star and snowflake schema are probably a couple of the choices that you would think of first. They're certainly not the only choices that you have. Um, but what are the access patterns going to be that you think that you think will capture most of the the use case that you want to get out of this data? And you want to minimize, for example, having to join lots of tables together over and over again for the exact same use case. That doesn't sound super fun. But you also don't want to have all of the data stored in one monolithic table if you can avoid it, because that makes other things sort of hard. So thinking about where you want to be flexible and have multiple tables that you have to, at query time, pull together versus where you want to have everything already in there, locked, loaded, ready to go, but maybe at the cost of a little bit of flexibility. Okay, awesome. Uh, I, I definitely feel like I learned something because I think about databases a little bit differently given that I'm usually working more with production data. Um, but this all makes sense. This is kind of fun. Yep. And like we said, I think in the last episode, you know, this isn't always the first stuff that you learn in data science school. Um, but these are things that make a big difference in how easy it is for you to do your job sometimes because it's like how you get access to the data. So it's worth um, taking some time to learn about this a little bit and appreciate some of the nuances. And uh, thank your data engineering friends who are probably taking care of a lot of this for you. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.